Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance performance. I'm the host, Chris Case, sitting down here today with Coach Trevor Connor, and we want to do another episode of our favorite workouts from Fast Talk All-Stars. Hey, Coach Ryan here. It's spring for most of us, which means more volume and more intensity. This is a great time to win an inside fitness test. Inside is a lab-grade fitness test you can do wherever you are without visiting a lab. Inside lets you take a detailed look at your own fitness. You'll discover your VO2 max, training zones, anaerobic threshold, fat max, carb max, and more. We're giving away three inside advanced tests. Just join Fast Talk Labs at any level by April 30th and you'll be automatically entered in our contest. Join us to enter at fasttalklabs.com. We like to ask everybody that comes to the studio or we get on the the phone for an interview to describe their favorite workout, why they do it, when they do it, how they do it, how much they suffer, how much they don't suffer. And that's what we want to share today. Trevor, any thoughts on some of these workouts? This is just a whole lot of pain. So you can pick your poison and go and enjoy it. I, I, I've tried almost all of these. They're great. All right, let's start with one from Jen Sharp, an elite cyclist and coach. Looks like she's got some high-intensity intervals that she does. Tell us a little bit more about this, Trevor. So she talked about a 30-second interval, really high intensity. This is all out with a, a longer rest, but she really focuses on this is something that women need to do, particularly women that are getting a, a little bit older. Um, so she talked a little bit about perimenopause. Uh, but it's something a lot of women don't do enough of, and there's a lot of evidence showing this is really beneficial for health. Excellent. Here's Jen. The love-hate one. I would definitely say high-intensity interval training, so hit intervals. And the reason I say that is because as women, we probably don't get enough of that. And I like to do it because it's short and sweet. Four intervals of 30 seconds with 90 seconds rest and up to three sets. And those on portions are full gas, like sprint, hold on as long as you can, recover, and then do it again. The reason for that, again, is is for women, and specifically I'm aging, and I know a lot of my athletes are aging, and uh, we need that high intensity right now in our, in our cycles and, and where we are in life. And if we don't use it, we'll lose it. It's inspired recently. Um, Stacy Sims has partnered up with Selene Yeager, and they've done this feisty menopause podcast that they're doing for women that are, you know, perimenopausal. So right before menopause, maybe in their late for- early forties to late forties to fifties, it's really important to have a high intensity in there. As we age, we're we're great at endurance. Mm-hmm. Like we've got that right, nailed. Right, right. <laughs> the uh, the aspect that we don't have and that we're losing as we age and what we're fighting against is the higher intensity and the ability to go anaerobic and into your VO2 max. And so by doing those short sweet efforts, you know, once or maybe even twice a week, depending on where you are in the periodization and cycle, women can really benefit from those. All right, now let's hear from Ted King. Ted being a former world tour roadie, and now he's turned himself into a bit of a gravel racer, a bit of a bikepacking racer, adventure racer. Um, he's got an interesting set of 4020s that he describes for us. What, what's this all about, Trevor? 
He calls this his butt-kicking workout, which I kind of liked. This is a really popular one among pros. So this is a, a Tabata workout. The original Tabatas were 2010s, but uh, when I, whenever I've talked to pros about it, they like to do these 4020s, which are pretty darn hard, but uh, a real good uh, bang for the buck. So let's hear what Ted has to say. Knee-jerk favorite workout. I think 4020s are a pretty righteous butt kicking with, with awesome ROI, uh, 40 seconds, maximum effort, 20 second recovery. When I'm feeling unfit and I haven't done them in a long time, then I might do six when I'm feeling very fit, then I will do 10 in a row. Um, and as many as two sets, I really don't train with much. My general philosophy now in, in career 2.0 as a gravel cyclist is it's so much more relaxed. I don't do intervals per se. I might come to a point in a particular day or week or month and be like, oh, you know what? I haven't done anything hard in a while. And 4020s are, are awesome bang for your buck. You get the, the, call it acclimatization, your body acclimatization, your customization to that repeated really hard effort. So it's sort of like anybody can be fresh early in a race. It's how good are you late in the race? How good are you to repeated attacks late in the race? Um, so yeah, I would also recommend 4020s later on in the training session or when you have a little bit of fatigue in your legs. They're fun workouts that you can build up to. So you might start with like 2040s, 20 seconds full gas, 40 second recovery, and then 3030s, and then ultimately go into 4020s. And so just that forcing your body to go to maximum on minimum recovery. I don't have a sports science degree, so I can't explain why I think it works, but for me, it has been something that I've, I've relied on for my entire career and, and really enjoy. And maybe that's the best part too, right? It's not, it's not a 15 or 10 or 20 minute threshold effort. VO2 efforts are, are extraordinarily hard at whatever, two, three, four minutes. So 40 seconds, you can always grit through them. Even if at 10 seconds in, you're like, oh my gosh, these are the longest 40 seconds of my life. I had a teammate, Jeremy Hunt, who, you know, had a very lengthy career in the world tour and he... I remember him calling him form finders. Like you'll find out if you have form when you do them, you're either smashing through them or you are not smashing through them. And therefore you're going to find your form by doing them. So yeah, they're, they're typically a little bit of the last minute tune up, uh, right. You know, leading up to a race because they're also not horribly fatiguing. So they're the kind of thing that you can be doing in that relatively short window before, before a big hard event of any kind. I would suggest full recovery between sets. So, you know, it sort of depends on how much time one is given the luxury of having. If you're doing two sets in one hour, you're going to be a lot less recovery time as opposed to, you know, Joe pro athlete who can go out for five hours at a time. Um, full recovery might be as much as 20 minutes. You can get by on, on 10, 12, 15. We have really easy spinning, but yeah. You want to give at least the same number of minutes. So if you do a six-minute set, for sure do at least six minutes recovery. All right, let's hear from Coach Lindsay Golich. She's a sports physiologist working at the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee at the Olympic Training Center, Colorado Springs. Trevor, what does she have for us here today? Lindsay gave us 2040s, not to be confused with 4020s, which is a Tapata workout. This is something she does with track athletes, particularly when she's working with a pursuit team, because it has some real race specificity. 
So it's a good hard workout. Chris and I actually went out with a couple friends last week and did something very similar. It's this simulating being on the front of the group, going hard, and then getting sort of a rest for 40 seconds before you have to go hard again. They hurt. Let's hear from Lindsay. As I mentioned, I work with our track cycling program and specifically our, our team pursuit. So their race is a four-minute race, uh, and it's a series of basically micro-intervals inside of like a, 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 a maximal four-minute time trial effort. We do a series of what we call 2040s. So in a team pursuit, an athlete is roughly on the front of their team time trial for about roughly 20 seconds. And then as they rotate back to the back of the line, they have a 40 second break, but it's still, you know, at well above a threshold power. Um, and so we do these 2040 uh, sessions that mimic uh, a race, a race effort. It's definitely a lot of suffering going on from athletes, a big return on their investment. So it's not a session that we do frequently um, because of the stress uh, and the, you know, the, the load that we put on the athletes. And we're not just doing one interval. We'll do somewhere between, I don't know, three to five of those. I enjoy it because I know that the, the reward that you get from doing this really high intense type of uh, effort is, is really exciting, especially as we get closer to Tokyo. You know, we, we know what kind of numbers that we need uh, to look at as a country, the U.S., we're the current world champions in the event. So we know what we need to do to hopefully continue to stay on top of that podium. How hard are they doing the 20 seconds? How hard are they doing the 40 seconds? The 20 seconds, um, it does change uh, based upon uh, different parts of the season. But when we're looking at it like a FTP power, um, it is, uh, we're looking at it, it's about 150% above FTP. And then the 40 second is, it'll range somewhere um, at 100% to 125%. So it's 2040s, but it's not a on off necessarily. It's a on, it's a on on versus on uh, type of effort. I was going to say it's a really on and an on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what would you say are the physiologically the primary gains of this workout? So really what we're tapping into, you know, don't use uh, the WKO terminology. We're looking at that like FRC, so that functional reserve capacity. So the amount of time or workload that you can spend above your threshold power. So when we're looking at these really short, intense um, efforts, my goal is I want the athletes to work on getting that FRC value or that amount of working kilojoules as robust as we can make it going into a, a competition. Even if it's you're not doing a four-minute all-out time trial, um, even if you're you're you know getting ready for a local criterium, um, an hour race, um, or even if it's just a, a training ride uh, locally, um, that. Uh, uh, workout like this can be really impactful as well because you're 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 looking at the the top end. We're looking at that anaerobic capacity and again that FRC value. Um, and it's an area that I find that a lot of endurance athletes don't tap into enough um, for obvious reasons. It's not fun. It hurts. You don't always feel like you're you maybe accomplished as much in a you know 45 or 60 minute session as you could in a four-hour ride you know just you know, physically being there but it is something that I, I find that uh, all athletes um, could utilize and now maybe you adjust the percentages maybe you're on versus off a slightly different ratio or your off is a little bit 
uh, maybe closer to that 85 to 100%. So it's not a full recovery, but it's enough to recover so you can actually tap into the really high power type of uh, output. And so final question, what time of year would you do this workout? Yeah, I would actually do it a couple different times throughout the year. I think um, it's, again, for most athletes, it's not our area of strength. So it might be something that you can do, you know, uh, somewhat early season if you're trying to build the top end of your conditioning. And then it becomes very race specific. So as you get closer to competition um, or your, your A events, it'd be something that could be really beneficial. But I would say the one caveat on it is that it's not a quote unquote primer session. Like you, when you're doing it, you want to make sure you have ample recovery on the back end just because there's a lot of fatigue. All right, let's hear a workout, so to speak, from Sage Roundtree. She is a yoga and Pilates expert and specialist. We had her on an episode talking all about yoga. What does she describe for us here today, Trevor? Yeah, I'm not going to go deep into this one myself because I have never done Pilates, but this is one of Sage's favorite workouts. It's a standing workout that she uses in both Pilates and yoga, and it sounds really interesting. Might have to give this a try. Perfect. Let's hear from Sage. I, I do a lot of Pilates and really like Pilates. And my favorite part of taking a Pilates class or teaching a Pilates class is um, doing some standing stuff that challenges balance, especially once you're already tuned in to your core, like once you've got uh, a light sheen of sweat and and an awareness and, and a light fatigue through the core to take it up and really feel how everything um, connects as a unit. So I teach a sequence in both in my Pilates classes and in my yoga class that I call Karate Kid. And it's basically moving first into, we kind of build into a shape that we would call crane. It kind of looks like that kick in the karate mm -hmm. kid you know you raise a knee and you raise your arms and you kick your leg forward and then you bend your knee and swing your foot behind you and come into what in yoga we call warrior three that's like an airplane or a balancing stick pose and we go back and forth between the two um so it's kind of it's kind of like the yoga equivalent of doing like a a reverse lunge to a front lunge and back again. So you kind of feel the load shift forward and back. Um, really great for hip stability and for hamstring strength because you're pretty much going into a Romanian deadlift when you go into warrior three and then you're pulling up and through and using your quads and your hip flexors to extend your foot out in front. So altogether, sometimes I call it karate kid, but I'll also call it drinking bird because it's kind of like this drinking bird toys with the little bow tie mm -hmm. that tip into the low ball glass and back again. I think that's a, a fabulous, um, a fabulous movement that it kind of hits many points in the chain that cyclists need a hip strength, hamstring strength, core strength, and awareness of where you are in space, even while you're moving, which is really critical for balance. Often in class, we'll do we'll kind of build into it. We'll go back and forth and then I'll say, all right, everybody do it three times forward and back on the same leg. And then I think they're done. I'm like, now let's do five because <laughs> you, you have a different experience as you warm up into it. It's kind of like a, a dish that sauces itself, like a risotto or something like the, the more you go into it, the, the more it kind of becomes a coherent whole. Now let's hear from three-time Olympic time trial champion, Kristen Armstrong on her 5 by 5 interval set. What does she have going for us, Trevor? Yeah, I was kind of expecting her to give us just a good solid threshold workout being a, a time trial. Well, she's good at everything, but certainly great at the time trial. Uh, but she gave us the good old 5 by 5 VO2 max intervals on a climb, which are, are painful. She talks about 
you, know, you finish, you have two minutes to basically try to hold in your lunge and then you go and do it again. So, so let's hear what she has to say about this workout. I want to play on words right now, but one of the most golden workouts that I do is probably my five by five VO2s. Um, those are probably the most painful, but also most effective workouts that Jim's ever given me. We've heard uh, about these from Jim, I believe. Least least desirable, most <laughs> effective. Yeah. So, so describe to me how you do them. So basically I go out and I warm up for about 30 minutes and then I go into, a, I call it a lower um, tempo style. I don't want to go into my full tempo because I don't want to take away anything from my workout. So it's lower tempo, uh, more in that, I would say 75% range, not getting up in that sweet spot at all. And you're going to come down for five to 10 minutes. And that, that five minute to 10 minute is more about mental preparation because I just can't go straight in it from tempo. There's no way. Like, it's just not. So then I pick one section and I like to do these on anywhere between like three and 5% grade. So I like to be able to keep my cadence as a uh, good cadence and not get bogged down. But at the same point, have just a little bit of an incline to help that power number come up. And so I find a stretch of road that I always do it on. I do it on the lower half of part of Bogus. In fact, um, there's just this one stretch that I, I know where I'm doing my five by fives. And <clears throat> I go after it. And basically at the end of my five minutes, if you know you've done it right, if you are leaned over your bike for the next minute or two, um, you roll down back to the same spot because rolling back to the same spot keeps you accountable. So you can look at numbers, you can look at averages, you can yada, yada, but nothing keeps you more accountable than going back to the same starting spot and doing it again and trying to pass that one moment, that one mark that you made. Um, I can tell you that in this workout that if you go 10 Watts too high on your first one, you're in big trouble by number four. Um, you do not come back. And so you only have to take that lesson one time and then you'll never do it again. But you're trying to push the envelope and you're pushing so hard that you're hitting a number, you're getting through about three minutes and then you're trying to refocus on your brain and saying, I only have two minutes left. Now I have 90 seconds. How am I going to focus for 30 seconds? All right, now I'm under a minute. I can do anything for a minute. Am I going to stand? Am I going to sit? How am I going to like crush myself? And then you do that five times. And um, it's an incredible workout. I would also use that workout when, uh, when we talk about time trialing and being specific. So you have a hilly time trial coming up. And guess what? I throw my disc on because climbing with a disc is very different than climbing with a rim um, or spokes. So I would do the same workout um, with my Sometimes with my time trial bike with my disc, but I'd also do it on my road bike with my disc just to climb with a disc. So those are another little, you know, taking it to the next level that, that I would do. So yeah, that's my, my favorite workout, meaning it's probably one of the, the hardest, most effective, but it has to definitely, you have to bring that in when you've come off, uh, you, you need to have a foundation of fitness prior to just throwing this one in. So I was going to be one of my questions. What time of year would you do these? Yeah, that's going to go into um, when you're going into, you know, even into your initial races, but you'll bring that back again into some of your key races. So, um, you know, a lot of times if you have back-to-back -back weekend races, it's going to be a little bit too much to throw in from race to race, like with only like five days recovery. 
So you're going to want to bring that in as you're leading into that season. <clears throat> but also when you have those two or three weeks between races, it's super effective um, to, to bring back in as well because it's physically tough, but also mentally tough. So, um, you know, there's always ways of doing workouts differently and getting to that same point. But we talked a lot today about mental training and extending those times in that anaerobic state <laughs> is something that not only prepares you physiologically, but also it's going to tax you mentally. And that's what we're after. Right. So I was going to ask you what the gains are. And you're saying a big part of it is just learning to, to that suffer, essentially. It is. It's learning to suffer. It's learning. Um, I don't want to say it's necessarily learning to know your limits, but it is true because when you start going into uh, the zone of, you know, 110% over that FTP, that VO2 anaerobic, if you don't know your limits, you can't fake your way through it. I mean, physiologically, you're going to fail if you go too much. And even stretching that rubber band, you know, you get into like a zone three and you stretch that rubber band and tempo and you're going to be able to last. It's not going to like accumulate any lactate. I mean, you can like fluctuate 10, 15 watts here or there. It's not going to be a big deal. When you get into this higher zone, uh, like I said, you, you go over what your target goal is that your coach gives you by just as little as like a five to 10 watt over, you're going you're gonna to pay the price on number three, number four. And, you know, unfortunately, that may be the breaking point where you're not even training in the crack zone anymore. So um, the first time out, I always tell people, you know, listen to me if you want to flex and kill it and you think that the zones I gave you are, are, are too simple, then you have an opportunity those last two to, to do what you can do and to really see where, where you have it. So um, one of the things as a coach that I look at is um, a lot of times people will be a little bit too conservative and you'll see that that last effort, people will like, totally kill it. I'm like, ah, you didn't empty the tank a lot enough. Cause if you do it properly, that last five minute, you shouldn't be able to go 10 to 15 Watts more than you did on the first four. You just shouldn't. Um, there's going to be a little bit of a decline and you're hoping eventually your goal is that you can nail all these within five Watts, which is again, another focus that takes time and experience. Now let's hear from coach Daniel Matheny, who you've heard on the program before in a Q and a episode. He has a variation on the five by fives. Tell us a little bit more about these, Trevor. Well, actually, Daniel describes this more as an alternative to the five by fives. As we just heard from Kristen, five by fives are a great workout, but boy, are they hard. So this is a workout that's a little easier to get through, but hits that same energy system. Great. Let's hear from Daniel now. Based on some research I was doing of sustaining like say VO2 max without actually doing like say the five by five minute or something like that, where it's like you see right. a, a hard effort and then fall off. But if you, what I consider prime the system with a hard effort and then you basically undulate it, it relates to me almost like the true uh, mountain bike efforts or the race winning efforts that occur, like either to make a separation off the start, but it's actually to go full gas and then step down. So there's two versions of it. One is almost like a, a race start. And this is obviously specificity. If you can sustain that, that VO2 max style effort or super threshold effort longer than that next person, then you've made the selection 
or created a gap that somebody else may may or may not be able to hold on to. So it's typically we'll do, you know, like 90 seconds near full gas and then another couple minutes just above threshold and then another couple minutes um, at threshold and then basically like a, a sweet spot or some type of like really after those efforts a really hard effort, but then you actually accelerate on and off for a duration. So depending on development of the athlete, it could be a, a 20 minute interval per se, like when it comes to specificity. Um, and that sounds very complex, but it, I try to get the athlete to do it um, very dynamically and not necessarily like so rigid that they can't, they shouldn't be looking at their computer and just following it like a super rigid effort. And another variation of that is like actually VO2 efforts where you build up to the intensity you're looking for, go hard, and then actually you just undulate. So it's a, a hard start and then an undulating uh, sustained, like just below threshold and then a surge and then just below threshold and a surge to kind of keep yourself at that VO2 max or that um, high breathing rate, almost what I call like the, the Darth Vader breath um, for a longer period of time, because usually the athlete can stay there longer at a high heart rate and that 80, I guess more like 90 to 92% of max heart rate and get the stimulus that they need. The one thing they can watch is kind of have a, a an idea range of like, okay, your heart rate's in this, should be in the like 89 to 92% of max heart rate. So typically it's pretty dynamic and that's a hard part of coaching the the exercise, but it's usually somewhere in around the uh, 15 second to 30 second window where they're going hard um, to kind of get back on top of the gas because all it takes is a super threshold effort to get that heart rate to come back up. And then it's even after that fact, usually the hard effort itself isn't that hard. It's actually settling back in and not dropping too low once you go, because anybody that's done under overs, usually the over is like, oh, okay, I'm going, I'm hammering. But then when they try to go back down to the under and still maintain a high output, that's the, that's the hard part because you're dealing with what the effort you just did. So that's kind of the coaching tip is like, don't let it drop. You're not going to recover yet. You're just dropping it back down and trying to manage what you just did. So it's, you know, say like 90, for 90 to 95% of threshold for 90 seconds or two minutes and then 30 seconds full gas. And that's, you know, depending on what you're seeing with heart rate, that's why it's hard to prescribe, but that's why it's not an exact prescription. But sometimes I'm getting you know, a 15 minute effort out of, out of athletes or even like maybe lesser trained athletes, they could only do a three minute peak power at their VO2 max power, but to do a undulating effort, they can do a minute full gas, get to that primed heart rate effort, try to get to there as quick as possible um, to that VO2 max. And then basically hit the power every, every minute and a half and then they're keeping it there for seven or eight minutes where they wouldn't be able to sustain that long at vo2 max otherwise we know that usually the first effort of an interval set like this of doing vo2 max you don't spend a lot of time at vo2 max it's kind of a throw it out the door but the, the latter part of the interval sets and the latter part of each interval where you spend more and more cumulative time so it's like if you can get that person to stay at that uncomfortable point longer they're going to get more accumulation of time at VO2 max with less uh, psychological strain. Like they may feel better about doing the undulations than just seeing the, the, what I call like the peak and fade. Like some people, some athletes don't like seeing their power fade, their heart rate or not, not their heart rate fade, but their power and cadence fade at the end of like a typical flat line VO2 max. They want to be able to hold that power. But a lot, a lot of times I see that as like, if you're fighting the fade, don't give in. But as long as your heart rate's staying elevated, your breathing rate is elevated, you're getting the benefit. But a lot of people will shut down when it gets hard. In the development phases, it takes a lot of uh, developed fitness to be able to handle that. 
Um, but it's also one of those where if you get into it, you may be able to do it in like early build phases because it's, it's one of those where instead of doing like flat out efforts where you have to basically peak and fade the power and watch everything kind of drop as you suffer. Um, this is a better way to actually do that because you get to spend a little bit more time and you can manipulate it to say, maybe the early efforts of these are shorter duration, you know, seven, eight minute efforts where as you get more developed, maybe you try to hold them for longer, like, you know, 13, 15 minutes, something like that, because you ramp up the power and then you can, you can stay there at that elevated rate for a longer period of time. So there's a progression, I would say the where it's not, it's not just one effort right away. So I'd say in the, the build phases. All right, now let's hear from Norwegian coach Sondra Skarli. He's got a four by 10 minute workout. What, what, tell us a little bit more about this, Trevor. He's actually got a few. He started by just saying he really likes as you're coming into the season doing race specific work. So gave a few examples, but really focused on that. Get in some work that simulates the type of race you're doing. Perfect. Let's hear from Sondra. The favorite workout uh, would probably be a specific workout, a workout that is close to competition and you could see if you're on the right path or not. It's probably a bit shorter and uh, something you can measure a lot of uh, metrics you can, where you can measure speed or uh, power or heart rate or lactate or maybe sometimes VO2 and uh, perception of the athlete. Because I like numbers uh, and uh, it's hard to pick out just one workout because they kind of attach each other's. They have a, a meaning to each other. One workout leads to the other one. So I, I like the high intensity workouts the most because they're, uh, it, uh, it's most exciting. A four times 10 minutes, pretty hard. Uh, it's a workout I think works for a lot of sports uh, which I find exciting to do and uh, exciting to watch. So what would be an example of a competition specific workout for a, a road cyclist? For a road cyclist I think uh, it could be uh, a road cyclist I actually like the one hour power workouts when I work with the uh, national team cyclists, I sometimes challenge them to do one hour power and to see uh, how high average power they can get. And they often, uh, almost always uh, replies, but wow, that's way too hard. That's way too long. And I say, yeah, but if you do a time trial, it's, it is one hour plus minus. And if you do a road race, it is six hours, sometimes more. So, uh, I think that's a really fun workout to do with a road cyclist to see how many watts can you do for one hour and just stay steady. And when would you do this? Would this be uh, during the season, close to races? It would be uh, close to season. Uh, I think it's a good workout before the season starts because you get to learn your body. It's a bit more uh, close to competition speed even though it's not that uh, much up and down in the watts like you have in a normal road race. You really uh, challenge yourself mentally because it's, uh, it's a really tough grind, especially when you do it indoors. And when we do these types of workouts, we measure a lot of metrics on the, uh, on the way. And I think it's a really good uh, test to see how you develop and, uh, and, and to repeat again to see if, uh, if you're one step closer to the goal. So how frequently would you do this? This wouldn't be an every week thing, would it? No, this would be uh, probably not more than uh, once a month, 
maybe every fourth or every sixth week or so. Fast Talk listeners, you may have heard about the Fast Talk Labs N1 Challenge. Every cyclist is a study of one, and we invite you to share your own experiment with us. For more on our N1 Challenge, download Fast Talk episode 147. The four of us have chosen pretty distinct, pretty difficult challenges, but I think we can all start riding together more and uh, progressing together more and keeping each other motivated. Join our N1 Challenge on the Fast Talk Forum and join our N1 Challenge Strava Club. Tell us your goals and how your training is going. Ask questions, get answers, all at fasttalklabs.com n1. That was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcasts. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com to discuss each and every episode. Become a member of Fast Talk Laboratories at fasttalklabs.com join and become a part of our education and coaching community. For Coach Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.